Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. On today's episode, we're talking about body image. Specifically, how can we help our sons and daughters form more positive body images? I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Charlotte Markey. She's a researcher on the subject and has also written a couple of very useful books for kids on the topic. I'm excited to hear what we can do to help boys and girls have more positive body images. Plus, we'll get to your questions shortly. Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Well, thank you for joining us, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Charlotte Markey, you are a professor of psychology at Rutgers and the director of the Health Science Center there. And then you are the author of a body image book series for teens and tweens. And your book for girls has been out for a while and you have an upcoming book intended for boys, correct? Yeah. So the body image book for girls came out in 2020 and we're just about a couple months away from being you, the body image book for boys coming out. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited today to talk to you about how we can help our kids, uh, develop and maintain a positive body image. Cause I think that as parents, that's something that is very important to a lot of us. So Agreed. first of all, let's just talk about body image in general. So can you kind of help us like from your viewpoint, how do you define body image? Right. So from a probably more academic or scholarly stance, usually we consider body image, how one thinks and feels about their body but I tend to adopt a pretty expansive definition because I think that how we think and feel about our body is just so deeply related to our sense of self more broadly and also to our behavioral health. So how we think and feel about our body um, has implications for especially our eating and activity behaviors, but also our interpersonal relationships more generally and even just our mental health more generally. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense because when I think about body image, but, but when you kind of think about it within yourself or sort of in the larger context, it's easy to see how, you know, if you're feeling bad about other things, sometimes that spills over into the way maybe you kind of see your physical body and then vice versa. If you're kind of feeling bad about the way you look suddenly, you know, you're upset about other things. Um, and certainly positive, positive reinforcement can do the same thing, but I think you're right. It's, it's kind of a very complicated topic. Exactly. And I think sometimes, you know, I've been studying body image for 25 years now as a researcher and people often pigeonhole it as this superficial issue, like, oh, you're just not comfortable with your appearance. And it's really just so much more than that, because as you say, your appearance and how you feel about yourself more generally impacts how you experience the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's overly dramatic to say that, like, really, this is 
one way of framing mental health in the broadest sense. Yeah. And I think even as you say that, I think it's interesting to think about how I feel like on the one end, you can feel as an adolescent, but even as an adult, like maybe judged for not caring enough about the way you look. But on the flip side, I think you could feel judged by people thinking you care too much about the way you look. So it's almost like really difficult to, to sometimes feel really comfortable about where you're at. So you said that you've been studying for like 25 years. What made you first get interested in this topic? I think I was always interested in this topic from the time I was probably a young child um, because I didn't call it body image back then, (laughs) but I was a dancer when I was young. I took ballet um, from the time I was very young and I danced with San Francisco Ballet um, in my early teens. And you know, I had a really formative experience where I auditioned to be a part of the company and was told that my dancing was fine, but I didn't have a dancer's body. And so that was going to just limit um, my dance career. And, you know, now I see that as truly a blessing that before I got too far into my adolescence, I was sort of kicked out of that lifestyle, which um, can be you know, really unhealthy for people. And also, um, you know, most people's careers are just over at a very young age. Um, so, so I think it has been a blessing, but I think it was, you know, just part of my childhood growing up, a lot of attention paid to how your body looked, a lot of criticism of your body, you know, really early introduction to um, diet culture and watching what you eat. And that was just, you know, the, the, the water I swam in from the time I was about five. Wow. So um, I think, you know, I didn't have the, the terms or the science uh, to talk about it. But then when I became a psych major as an undergraduate, that was really the introduction then of a language to start to delve into, I think, some of these experiences. And, you know, I think 90% of psych majors probably end up psych majors as undergraduates because they're like figuring out something about their own life and, and, you know, the major and the area of study just provides tools. So, um, I was not unique in that way. Can I ask how old you were when you kind of had that person tell you that you weren't, you didn't have the correct body for the dancing? Yeah, I was actually in fourth grade. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So I was pretty much pre-pubertal still. Um, I mean, I think as I recall, I was pre-pubertal, um, and I did keep dancing for a few more years after that. Um, but by high school, it was, I had, I had left that scene. Wow. And I do think that that's interesting because I know from a personal standpoint, so I have one daughter, she's seven and, um, she's not ever been in dance or gymnastics or any of those things. Um, and I, I would be honest that I would say, Part of it, that is probably like been me because I'm, I, w- I never, re- I took like dance when I was little, but I was terrible. I mean, there was no worry that I was going to get kicked out because of my body it was all skill if I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, I feel like probably just because of the things I study and sort of talking about nutrition and like um, being comfortable with your body, I've always been very sensitive to that. And just knowing that 
um, you know, at some level that that kind of culture exists in those realms. I never would have said, no way can you do it, but it wasn't necessarily something that I was like excited to sign her up for. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, do you, I mean, obviously lots of girls and children go to dance class and do gymnastics. And on the one end, I think it's so cool because especially with things like gymnastics, I mean, you see some of those kids and they can do such cool things with their body. Um, you know, that it's sort of like, wow, what an incredible thing to learn and know how to do. But on the flip side, I think, um, do you have any advice for parents that maybe like that is something that their children are interested in? How do I, you know, stay ahead of this or kind of what could be some red flags that I could look for to make sure that, you know, my child is not going to have that kind of negative experience in those activities? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a daughter who's now 14. Um, and when she was young, she did want to take dance. I had sworn that, you know, as we all do before we're parents, we have these like really grand ideas. Totally. We're gonna be parents and the rules we're going to have. And then, you know, your daughter's begging you to take dance and you're like, oh, all right. Um, so she did take dance and she did take gymnastics and she wasn't serious about either. And I think, had she been really serious about either, it would have um, it would have been more complicated for me in terms of how I approached it. Because I think you're right; we don't want to deny them um, participation in activities that their friends are doing or they're just dying to do, right? Um, so, you know, I think it was I kind of had it easy because it didn't last long. She quit on her own; it was fine. She was very young. Um, but I do think a big part of it is just counteracting some of the messages that kids might get in those settings or really anywhere in the world with some of the messaging you do at home and being really sort of clear about your values as a parent and prioritizing both mental and physical health the importance of um, eating nutritious food and taking care of your body, but not to an extreme, right? So um, not having a lot of really rigid food rules. So having a lot of flexibility, but still just sort of making your values, I think really present from the time kids are young. And then even when they butt up against you know, sort of these harsh realities in the world, whether it be their dance class or then later in life, Instagram, mm -hmm. um, hopefully they can take it all in stride a little bit better because we're not going to be able to protect them from all these uh, problematic body image influences. We just that can't. is true. Yes. Um, so let's talk about a little, a little bit about your book. Um, I read this book. I loved it. Uh, what made you decide to write this book? Yeah, I think some of it is that I've worked so long in this field and I've seen so many adults struggling with body image issues. And just once those issues kind of take root, it feels really hard to shake them. And so I started thinking a lot more about like a preventative measure, right? Like how do we just keep that from happening in the first place. Um, and it wasn't an accident that my kids were of an age. They were when that project started sort of in the pre-adolescent years. And I started thinking a lot more about all the things that I wanted to say to them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was like, in some ways, 
my letter to them in some ways, my letter to, you know, my nieces and nephews and to, to any other kid, like, these are the things I want you to know. And I want you to have evidence-based information so that as you grow up, you can have a really solid sense of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things I loved about it, I mean, it's obviously geared towards kids sort of maybe pre-adolescent or early, early adolescent kids. But even as we talked about a little bit before we got started, you know, I'm 40 years old, I was reading it and I felt like it was good for me to, <laughs> to have some of these reminders um, just because it's not things that you think about all the time. But I loved it because it really, you know, walks you through sort of the changes that your body goes through mentally and physically with puberty normalizes a lot of the like fears, anxieties, feelings that you have around that. And then addresses a lot of the things that come up, you know, like as you're getting older and you're starting to make more decisions for yourself, including, you know, what you eat, um, things like exercise, social media, uh, it really does present it in a factual, just sort of like evidence-based way to say it doesn't seem judgy at all. It's just like, here's the things to look out for. Um, and especially with the food, you know, saying I loved the idea where it was kind of just like, you know, everything's okay. You just, but some things are better for you than others. And so it's all about moderation and just educating yourself to help you make good decisions. So I really loved that. Um, I guess one question I would have would be, what age do you suggest that you would introduce this to your child? I mean, I think that it depends on your child to a certain extent, and it depends on um, if you're going to just leave it for them, um, which can be a great strategy. So I'm not being judgmental about that. Yeah. Sometimes conversations can be awkward and sometimes kids are not super chatty kids. And so throwing a book on their bed is a great strategy, I think, in that case. Um, some parents like to um, read books with their kid. Um, and so, uh, you know, like most of the puberty books, I would read with my kids and mm -hmm. um, take them just a little bit at a time. Say if they had questions, let them have the book in their room then. And I started that really young because we do know from research that kids are not going to respond super well to like a really long lecture about anything, right? Right. Whether it be body image or sex or anything, food. Um, so you're going to have better luck keeping their attention and sort of normalizing conversation about these topics by just doing little bits and pieces here and there. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a parent who's interested in doing that, then your kid might be seven or eight even, I think, and you could read some parts of this and sit there and, you know, say, do you have any questions? And, um, and I think that's totally age appropriate for, for a lot of, you know, barely even tweens. Um, yeah. And then I think if you're just going to kind of leave it for them, you might want to wait until um, they're on the brink of puberty. Um, and it, just because I do try to really um, cover a lot of territory. So things like social media, or I believe there's a Q&A in the girl's book about sexting, because this mm -hmm. comes up a lot um, in terms of how one thinks about their body and how one thinks about sharing their body and respecting themselves. And so um, I think, you know, that's not really a concern of a seven-year-old, but believe it yeah. or not, by 11 or 12, um, 
you know, for example, with boys, the average age of first discovering porn on their own is 11. Yeah. So this stuff does start pretty young. Well, and I thought, you know, as I read this, it actually brought back. So I, I had some memory from middle school and I remember in our middle school library, there was some book and it was some sort of like little encyclopedia for kids. And it had, it was about all kinds of things, but it had a little section in it that was about like human growth and development and puberty. And I remember checking that book out uh, like several times. And I was just like, so interested in like reading all those pages. And I distinctly remember too, that those pages were like very worn and torn in that book. So I'm very confident that I was not the only child that was like oh. repeating. And it was, you know, it was very matter of fact and scientific. It wasn't salacious or inappropriate in any way. But it reminded me as I kind of reflected back, I was like, kids are at that age. So I was probably like fourth or fifth grade, like hungry for this information, right? Because there's something inside of you that's like very curious about what's going on. But in the flip side, I also remember like for myself, like going through puberty, like I was mortified by it. You know, I feel like some kids are like happy and welcoming it. And I couldn't explain why, but like, you know, I was that girl that was like, I was going to wear like sports bras. And like, when I got my period, I, I cried all day long <laughs> and I don't know exactly why, but it was like, I was just mortified. It was horrible. So when I read a book like this, I not only can like relate back to like, there is, there's something inside of you as a kid that is like, I want this information. And I, and it's much more comfortable, at least it would have been for me or for a lot of kids, I think, to kind of be able to have a book like this geared toward them where they can kind of read it on their own. Um, but then on the flip side, just like, you know, this is such a like, it presents it in such a normalizing and positive way that I think like, gosh, I would hate for like my kids or my daughter to, to be so mortified by going through puberty as I was. So you kind of like, you know, as the parent, you always want to be like, well, I want to do better for my kids um, than then my own experience is kind of what we all hope. Um, so I, I think that that's amazing. And then kind of like you said too, like I, for me, my kids, my older three are boys and then my youngest is a girl. But like you said, like even earlier than I would have anticipated, you start to hear these comments about, about their bodies and like sort of what they sometimes negative things that they'll say about their bodies. And you're like, this is crazy. You know, you're seven or you're nine, I guess, you know, it, it, it is shocking how early I think that those comments start to come up. So you I know, did as a pediatrician too, that puberty starts young and it starts mm -hmm. younger than when we were kids. Mm -hmm. um, so for girls, it's not uncommon for pubertal development to be underway at nine. Um, and it may not be visually apparent, but that doesn't mean that there hasn't been underarm or pubic hair growth or something, um, certainly hormonal changes. And boys are about two years later, but, um, you know, it, I think this earlier pubertal development does necessitate normalizing conversations about our bodies at a younger age than a lot of us parents are ready for. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't just bury our hand, our hair in the sand because it's, it's happening. Totally. I totally agree. And I think that that's exactly true too. Um, you know, with puberty occurring at earlier ages, I mean, I've had patients that, you know, nine years old getting 
periods. And so, you know, you think, I think of how I was like 12 and crying for a whole day to handle that at nine. I mean, I can't even imagine. And so I think you're exactly right. Like the earlier we can kind of normalize and address these things, you know, really is only helping our kids out. So I want to change gears for a, a minute. Um, we do a section of the show that's kind of called ask me anything. And so we take viewer questions and um, I'll oppose them to you. Uh, the first one is from Kelly. And she says, do you know if eating disorders tend to run in families? They do. And there's more than one reason for this. So some of it does seem to be some biological vulnerability. And some of it is just how people talk about and how kids are socialized when it comes to food and eating. So there is a certain amount that parents can do to try to prevent the intergenerational transmission of eating disorders within a household, but parents also should not blame themselves and they should appreciate that some of this is biologically driven. Yeah, I think that that's, I think it's interesting too, because, um, you know, I, I feel like it's something that's only, that's probably existed for years and, or has existed, you know, for years and years and years, but only something that has come into sort of the vernacular relatively recently. Um, you know, it was funny because my 99 year old grandmother who recently passed away, but she was living with us actually before she passed away. And we had this conversation and it turns out that actually, as she was mentioning it, her sister, I think had very severe anorexia, um, wow. but it was never identified as such in, you know, whatever that would have been probably 80 years ago. Um, but as she described it and she was telling me, you know, like about her eating habits and she ended up having to get her legs amputated. I mean, it was very severe. Wow. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that that's another thing that we, we probably haven't even delved into that these things have existed for longer than we know. However, you know, it's only now that they've gotten named and started to be treated and identified. And so I just found that very interesting to think about a time where, you know, that wasn't even something that was labeled or probably managed in any sort of way. Well, um, if you think of just the evolution of our understanding of medicine in general, yeah. So much has happened in the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, and particularly in the realm of mental health, you know, yeah. I think that a lot of things fall under that category, but if anything, I guess, to be grateful that we live in a day and age where, you know, these things can be identified and people can get help. Yeah. Um, second question is from Misty. She said, my son is 11 and a little bit chubby. My in-laws sometimes comment on his weight in front of him. It's not mean spirited and it really doesn't appear to face him, but I worry that it's negatively impacting his body image. What should I do? Yeah. In this situation, I would have a, a conversation with the adults without the child present and um, just say to kind of stop that this has the potential to be detrimental. I know you don't mean it in a, a critical way, but the thing is we just never know for sure how it's impacting the young person. And I've talked with so many young people across my career who say it was a family member who picked on them. Mm -hmm. And that was the origin of their sense of self-consciousness and maybe even disordered eating. Um, so I think 
you know, there are other things we can talk about with our kids, right? Talking about, or especially picking on their bodies is just not necessary. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned that too, in your book is the impact that teasing really can have on kids. And again, I think, you know, I think I, I feel like a lot of times we'll see this where things are not meant to be. Um, and I think especially with generational differences and things mm-hmm. like that, sometimes, you know, people are, are often not intending to do anything that would negatively impact a child. But the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, as any parent learns often the hard way is those kids are always listening. And I think they're internalizing and they're thinking about things on a level that doesn't seem apparent immediately. Um, but just always to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Um, so I want to shift back to talk about your book for boys. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I was putting together the book for girls, um, I have an amazing editor I've been working with. Um, there's actually a third book in the works now as well in the series. Um, that's for um, late teens and early adults. Um, so sort of picking up where these two books yeah. for teens left off. Um, but anyways, my, my amazing editor, Sarah Marsh, um, and I were talking about the first book project and I, you know, said, I wanted to focus on girls and she was very clear from the get go. Like, I understand why, especially with discussion of puberty, you want to focus on girls, but then let's do a boys book next. And so it was always part of the discussion that we never thought the issues were less relevant to boys or less important for boys, um, just as much as we thought we wanted to tackle them somewhat separately for, you know, tweens and teens, because we wanted to wrap in discussion of puberty and other sort of gender specific issues. Um, So uh, it's been you know, a really fun ride working on these projects. And um, what I've really loved is that I do the writing and I do interviews with people and experts and reading and I put together, you know, the text, but then um, the publisher has pulled in, you know, this whole design team. So it's illustrated um, and there's just a, a lot of color and design that I think makes them so much more fun and accessible to kids. Um, and I thought I loved the girls' book so much that it could never be topped. And I actually love the look of the boys' book even more. Um, so I think that it will really appeal, especially to boys. Just the sort of styling of um, the illustrator, Dan, is just amazing. Um, oh, so it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's just it's been it's been just really a rewarding um, experience. And I've just loved, you know, thinking about young people and talking with young people and working on these projects and seeing what questions they have and going into the research to get the most up to date answers for them. So um, it's really kind of a, a an interesting and fun process. And I think that that is a question I would have. So through your research, what have you found, like are the similarities and differences between questions or concerns that girls have versus boys? Because I do think traditionally, you know, if somebody thinks like, oh, someone with a body image issue, they probably think, oh, that's kind of a feminine or girl, girl issue. Um, but certainly we know that's not the case, but I do think it, it probably does differ 
on some level between girls and boys in general. So what have you found? Yeah, it's interesting because 75% of boys research suggests, you know, want to change the appearance of their body. They're not satisfied with their body. So 75%, that's, that's pretty high. And then about another 60% engage in behaviors to try to increase um, their muscles, right? Boys are very focused on their muscles. And um, about a third of eating disorder cases are boys and men. So these issues are much more prevalent um, among boys and men than is, you know, clear from popular culture information that we get. Um, and I think part of what's going on is that boys and men just really don't have the vocabulary and they haven't been given the permission to talk about these issues. So it's not, they're not present. Um, but when I started doing my interviews with boys, I really saw this and that I could ask them about their body image and they didn't know how to relate that term even to them. Like body image, I, that's a girl thing. And then I'd ask them about their eating behaviors or about what sports they play. And they'd say things like they don't ever want to take their shirts off because it's embarrassing. And so that's why they quit swimming or they've been trying to eat more protein because their football coach tells them that will help them build muscles, which is by the way, a myth, but, um, so they're, they're behaving and they're internalizing a lot of messages that are about body image. They yeah. just don't call it that. And they don't talk about it as such. And so that's sort of what seeped into popular culture, I think, is that, no, these aren't really issues pertaining to boys. Um, they absolutely are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought that that was interesting because I actually, my oldest son is 13 and sort of in part of preparing for this. And like, I just feel like, you know, your own personal experiences as a female. And so you know, I tried to ask him about that. And again, it was sort of like, it's pretty hard to get any like information. Uh, you know, they're like, I'm cool. I'm fine. <laughs> so I was thinking about you and thinking like, wow, I wonder if even the process, because I know through your books, you end up doing a lot of interviewing and trying to get a lot of firsthand information from kids in this age group. And I was curious, was it more difficult sometimes to get that information from the boys, because I think you're right. Like in, in the culture, it's something that's a little bit more socially acceptable, even as a female to talk about. Yeah. I mean, girls, even as young as 12 or 13, once you get them started and certainly women, I mean, we can do this yeah. with our friends, even, um, once you get, you know, things rolling, they just talk they just take over. Um, they have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> it's not a hard <laughs> conversation to have. Mm -hmm. These are things they think about, they care about, they have a vocabulary to discuss. Um, and boys are very, very different. And so I really had to um, develop better interviewer skills, I think. Uh, and I really found that there was a transition that took place. So um, when boys are younger, they just really don't feel comfortable talking about it. And again, they can't label it in the way that I would as someone who studies these issues. Um, but as boys get older, so the young men I talk to, once they're more in college and they've become a little more reflective, their vocabulary has sort of grown a bit, um, 
they've had, I think, more um, romantic relationships at that point. That seems to be formative often. Um, and they, they really, the interviews got better as I, as I got more older <laughs> young men, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they just seemed much more, more comfortable um, having these conversations. So it's not that there's no hope in terms of um, boys discussing these issues or normalizing these issues for them. I think it just seems to take longer. And, um, and there, there's, there's certainly some work to be done, I think, in terms of our cultural approach to how we uh, address body image for boys and just mental health or even health for boys and men. I mean, we know that boys and men are less likely to seek medical care, even if it's just a physical health problem. Yeah. Um, so that's really a cultural problem. Absolutely. So yeah, I did think, I did think of you when I said, man, that must've been really difficult to get this information. (laughs) Um, So when will the boys book be out? The boys book will be out on April 7th and it can be pre-ordered on Amazon. It's up and ready to go. We have a webpage, the body image book for boys that's up already. Um, So we're really excited. The process of working on these books is a two-year process, about one year of, um, really writing and then another year of editing and design and illustration and all of that. So um, it's, I get really antsy towards the end because it's been going on for a long time. I want people to see it. Yeah, that's very exciting. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit in the ask me anything, but just sort of the importance of parents influence on the body image that your children are developing. And like we've discussed, I mean, obviously parents are not the only influence. We all have tons of influence um, from all over that helps us determine what our, what our body image is. But as a parent in particular, you know, and being sensitive to this and kind of in the realm where I read and study and talk to a lot of people about health, healthy body image, like helping kids and families develop healthy relationships with their bodies and food. Um, you know, a lot of the, uh, messaging would be, you know, and we even talked about this is to kind of remain neutral and not talk about things. Um, And not never to say things like, you know, like, oh, I feel fat today or this, you know, I feel frumpy or whatever. Um, And I see on the one hand, I see a lot of validity to that. On the flip side, I try to think back and think, you know, what if no one ever told me like, oh, you look really pretty today or, you know what I mean? Because I would say, you know, there are times where you're like, oh, you know, and somebody's like, wow, your hair looks really gorgeous. Like when you came on here, I was like, Charlotte's hair looks amazing. And so like, you know what I mean? Like on the one side, it's like those things can be real confidence boosters on the flip side. Like if all anyone ever talks about is your hair, you start to feel like, you know, if my hair looks bad, that's my self-worth as a person. (laughs) Um, And so it's like a very tricky balance. Um, And so I guess like, what advice do you have for parents? Because then the other part, like I've, I've talked about in a lot of other realms with my kids, you know, I've often felt like sometimes honesty is the best policy and, um, you know, talking about times when I don't feel good or I screw up kind of helps your kids resilience when they see like, Hey, you know, mom sometimes feels this way and she's okay. You know, whether that's about the way I'm looking, but also 
you know, just times I screw up in my life. Like, man, I shouldn't have said that. That was not a good thing to say. And so I find it, and I don't know that anyone has the exact right answer, but I guess what advice do you give to parents that are kind of struggling? Like, how do I talk to my kids about this? Um, and how do you handle it yourself? Cause as a mom. Yeah. Well, as we were saying before with, the uh, the questions, um, I think this is not a, a place to offer constructive or critical feedback to our kids. Um, my view is that the world will offer that feedback anyways, probably. That is true. Um, so I don't need to do that. <laughs> like, and we all know we're most critical of ourselves. So our kids are already probably noticing a pimple or whatever on their own. We don't need to point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get this question a lot because um, parents will say, I know that I don't want to focus on their appearance, but is it okay to sometimes tell them they look nice? Yeah. I think that's absolutely okay, right? We want, again, to transmit values to our kids so that they appreciate they are more than their appearance. We don't love them just because of how their hair looks or because they're tall or whatever it may be, right? We love them for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with their appearance. And they should feel that their existence in the world and what they have to offer their world is so much more than how they look, right? So we do want to really, I think, uh, press hard on that message. Yeah. But having said that, you know, if your kids are getting dressed up to go to a dance or something, I think it's strange than not to say you look really nice or, you know, we want to take pictures of our kids because of course they look fabulous to us. Um, then, you know, that's some indication that we want to document them doing something or looking a certain way. And I think that that's also wonderful. So, so there's some balance to try to strike. Um, and, you know, historians and psychologists and philosophers and, doctors have written about this for many years, actually. And this really made an impression on me before I even had kids. And I do find myself sometimes, um, you know, I'll say like, oh, you look really nice or, oh, I love your hair like that. And then it's almost a half joke in our house because I'll say like, and you're really smart Um, because (laughs) because I catch myself like as I'm making an appearance-based comment. And I think, oh, I shouldn't be overdoing this, you know, but I've already done it. And so I'll say like, and you have the best sense of humor. (laughs) Um, And my kids know my personality. So I hope they appreciate that. Like, I I mean, the second thing as much as the first, even if it kind of comes out in this sort of funny way sometimes. Um, But I think that, you know, we just, we have to do our best, right? Parenting is like this, this never ending trial and errors. Even if you know everything you think you need to know to be the best parent, or you read every book out there, um, it's still just a process. And I think uh, one comment you made that's really valuable is just, it's okay to circle back and it's okay for them to know that we're human. Mm -hmm. It's okay to circle back and say, you know, I was commenting on this and I really didn't mean it like that. Uh, You know, I I want a do over. Mm -hmm. You can ask for a do over. And I think also sometimes we should offer our kids do overs. We should say, I don't think that that's what you meant. Why don't you 
why don't you say that in a better way? You want to do over? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. well, and I guess another thing I really wanted to talk to you about, because I would say, like I told you, you know, my oldest son is 13 and a thing that comes up a lot as we talk about body image or mental health for kids growing up, that's a lot different than anything that I dealt with or people, parents, a lot of parents dealt with when they were growing up is this idea of social media and the internet. And I know for me and for a lot of parents I talk to, I mean, it just creates a lot of anxiety um, because, you know, I've read a lot about how it can very negatively impact self-esteem and self-image in particular for girls. On the flip side, you know, it's like, it's here. It's part of the world that we live in. Um, and like most things, if you try to completely restrict something, that's probably the thing your kid's going to figure out how to find first. (laughs) Um, and so my two questions, number one is kind of, can you talk to us a little bit about the research that exists right now surrounding social media and kids? Yeah. So I think there is reason to be concerned There's a lot of research to suggest that social media can negatively affect kids' body images and also their mental health in general. But there's a lot of caveats and complexities in this science that don't seem to make the headlines, right? So this is more likely to be true if kids are vulnerable to start with. Right. If your kid's already anxious or already dissatisfied with their body or already depressed, this is something you want to be much more mindful of. If your kid is not vulnerable in any way that seems relevant, then it's just going to be less of a concern. Um, We also know it really matters what kids do on social media. So even some of the research I've conducted recently Um, on middle school aged girls suggests that if they're just connecting with their friends, um, that's probably fine. That doesn't seem to have negative body image consequences. It's when they start watching beauty tutorials or following, um, you know, certain celebrity sort of influencer culture that things get a little bit more problematic Um, And we also know that there's kind of a dosage effect that if kids are spending a lot of time, especially in those less supportive social media spaces, that things are going to perhaps affect them negatively. There's this sort of circular or reciprocal effect that's most likely though, right? That kids who are already kind of concerned about their appearance are going to go watch beauty or fitness or weightlifting tutorials. And then spending all that time in that media space may actually exacerbate their concerns, not improve them. Um, So to, to think of social media as this, you know, just terrible force out there that you must keep your kids away from at all costs is not productive, Mm -hmm. right? Your time as a parent will be much better spent Um, maybe, uh, maybe coming up with some parameters, some boundaries, right. Yeah. Um, But also focusing on media literacy and really having some conversations about what you're seeing is not real or, you know, this influencer who always looks perfect or has great muscles or whatever, that's all they do all day. Yeah. 
So, so of course they look like that, but what I want for you is for you not to spend your time in the gym all day. I want for you to have a more varied, rich life that includes other things that involves helping other people that involves exploring things you're curious about, whatever it may be. Um, But I think again, just really to try to impart values to our kids so that um, that kind of media is a little bit less interesting to them perhaps. Yeah. I mean, cause as you think about it, I feel like even as an adult, who's kind of aware of these things, you know, the, everybody talks about the internet rabbit hole and it's very easy if you're not being very, uh, kind of cognizant about it to even get yourself down this little rabbit hole where all of a sudden you go, Oh man, like I really like deep dove into this and I'm starting to just like go a little, you know what I mean? Your, your mentality just sort of goes down this, this hole and you start to just be overthinking things or things of that nature. And I think it is difficult because even though on the one side, you're, you know, that like, like you said, these are, these are edited moments in time. And, you know, you see this picture and that's probably one of 100 pictures that that person took of themselves and then edited and Photoshopped, et cetera. Um, but your brain doesn't necessarily automatically think that, right? So your brain just thinks, well, this is just how this person looks and this is their life is perfect. Um, and why am I such a mess? <laughs> so I, I think when you realize that even as an adult, that's difficult, it certainly makes me think, wow, I can't imagine having to like have that talk with myself when I'm 13 years old or, or anything. And then the other thing I started to think about too is, do you know, has that correlated then to maybe more poor self-image or self-body image with boys? Because I think when I think back, like my social media equivalent when I was a girl would be like 17 magazine, right? Or something like that. Um, right. Whereas I don't think that boys necessarily probably had something similar. They were probably out doing something when I was spending my time reading this magazine. Whereas I kind of think like, now, if boys are on there, they just probably have access to that in a different way than in previous generations. We saw boys looking at on a regular basis. Um, have you found any validity to something like that? Yeah, I mean, we know that social media has the potential to affect boys as well. We don't have as much research mm-hmm. yet looking at boys. Um, but my suspicion would be that much of what I just told you about dosage and about the sorts of interactions on social media are relevant to boys as well. Um, and I do think that boys also need to learn media literacy and develop critical thinking skills. And I think we need to be really careful not as parents or adults in young people's lives to, to not throw the baby out with the bathwater that kids learn a lot from social media. Unfortunately, it's not all accurate, right? but their exposure to information and their social awareness is so different in this generation. And my sense of this is from interviewing dozens and dozens um, and working with young people for my whole career. Um, and it's in some ways just amazing You know, I mean, the way young people um, can think about even political issues or social issues or health issues Mm -hmm. is just so much more complex um, than what I was doing at 13 or 14. 
right? I was with yeah. you with my teen magazine and like yeah. trying on like blue eyeshadow or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and it's not to say that kids aren't doing some of that still. And, but that's okay. I mean, some of mm-hmm. that is age appropriate um, to be curious about makeup or to be curious about um, different athletes. Some of that is, is very age appropriate. Um, and I don't know that we need to deny our kids all of that. Um, but I think we do need to be aware and we do um, need to do things like, you know, look at their news feeds, talk mm-hmm. with them about uh, parameter setting. So, you know, maybe for your household, it's no phones in their bedroom at night or, you know, like at meal times, no phones, like, you know, just yeah. really make, force them to have a break, you know, or maybe depending on if you have a young kid they don't bring it to school even, right? Or whatever it may be, right? I mean, kids are getting phones, which is basically the internet at such a young age now. And there are some practical reasons to do that, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, if you have busy lives and you're trying to coordinate who's picking up who and where everyone's going, and I can only imagine doing that for four kids, you know, I mean, I would have, if I had four kids, my kids would have all had phones when they were like four years old, probably. (laughs) Right, I know. Yeah. I don't know how I would have my 11 year old and my 13 year old both have phones. And I was, you know, same thing. It's, it's like a, a plus minus, you know, there's all kinds of positives. And I think every parent deals with that. And I don't know that there's any right answer. And I think, is there, have you noticed that there's some like social media, like Facebook versus Snapchat versus Instagram versus TikTok? Are there some that you feel like are maybe a little bit more kid safe than others? I don't know any kid that wants to be on Facebook. Um, that's true. That's like a parent space now. Totally. Maybe that's why I so, should only let. That's so that's like safe. Yeah. They want to go there. Go ahead. Um, you know, as far as I can tell for kids, they, they are on Snapchat, which has the obvious appeal of stuff like disappearing and they can yeah. send um, messages really quickly and they take pictures of themselves and send it. And I don't really even understand why um, they do some of that. Um, you know, so I think for a lot of parents, because there is an inability to track really Snapchat in the same way, mm-hmm. um, because messages disappear, a lot of parents like to wait on that, try to not allow that until a certain age. I think that's kind of up to parents and their kids. Um, you know, Instagram is used by a lot of adolescence, but is not as popular, I think, as it was a few years back. Um, TikTok is probably kind of where it's at for a lot of adolescents. Um, and, you know, the algorithm is what makes or breaks the experience, at least yeah. as like a parent, that's what I think, right? So if they're just following like news segments, which I guarantee they're not, but yeah. let's say, I was like, well, your must be different than mine. I don't think. Yeah, no, I mean, hypothetically, you know, these, <laughs> yeah. once you start looking at one thing, it, it, it brings you more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's, that's the issue. It'd probably be easy to get a sense though, of what kind of things your child is looking at. If you're like, all right, well, I'm going to just go on your TikTok for a little while and see. Or do it with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I say, sit down and say, I want to see what pops up on your TikTok. I'm just curious. Right. And then you'll, within a few minutes, you'll probably get a sense of what's happening regularly on TikTok. And, you know, for a lot of boys, it's like video game stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and, 
I don't know, aside from the fact that the avatars um, have really, you know, unrealistic bodies. <laughs> and there is some research on that and some concern about that affecting body image. But, um, you know, that's, I wouldn't say that's like the, the prime body image influence on boys necessarily. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it depends on what your kids looking at on TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. If they're, if they're getting a whole bunch of what I eat in a day, then you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. I would say like, that is not what we want young people looking at basically like diet advice from unqualified sources. Um, so, so if you see that, I think that's a red flag and I would really do your best to either get rid of the, the app for a while or get the algorithm to get changed somehow. Um, yeah. but, but a lot of it is probably not all that problematic. It's, yeah, and I think understand you, it. you bring up, I think that probably the best rule of thumb is to just stay connected, keep communicating and keep tabs on, you know, just check in. I probably is a better, make sure you're doing a little check-in just so that there's no red flags that you aren't aware of, but, um, and just doing your best to keep those lines of communication open so that you feel like you'll be aware if something's starting to go awry. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you had mentioned that the boys books coming out in April, this girl's book, I can firsthand speak for, I think it's excellent. So I would encourage anyone with girls to pick this up, both available on Amazon and then any other resources that you'd suggest for parents kind of dealing with this or curious about learning more about promoting positive body image for their kids. You know, there's a lot of resources in the book. So at the end of every chapter, there's sort of a find out more section. So if you want to um, look up more about social media, for example, there are some web pages that I, I suggest. So, so I think that's the best place for sort of a, a set of resources. It's just to look in, in, the, in the book, those chapters, um, the web pages for the books do have um, other podcasts and recordings that may be of interest to some parents. And those web pages are just the body image book for girls.com and the body image book for boys.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us for another episode of feeding the family. Be sure and hit that subscribe button. So you never miss an episode and we'll see you here next week. 